I'd be like, cool, I'll, I'll do it for you, but not even actually knowing how it worked or how to do it, but staying up all night Googling it and then talking to friends who were really good at Facebook ads and just trying to learn by brute force, I think was the best education I could have really ever provided myself. Welcome to Worth. If you're new, this podcast is a platform for young people in tech to share their unique stories. On this episode, we're incredibly lucky to be joined by Mahak Fora. Named a top 10 Gen Z marketer by Forbes, she dropped out of Purdue after her sophomore year to grow her agency, Jamoka Media, into a six-figure business. Now she's focused on cultivating the next generation of growth marketers at OnDelta, a remote bootcamp that's free until you get a job. We talk growing up in West Virginia and Tennessee, navigating life as a freelancer, running for mayor of San Francisco, and her vision for OnDelta. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I know you've been on some different podcasts already, including Jason Calcanis's most recently. You've done a TEDx talk. You've been interviewed by Forbes and Adweek and Buzz Journals and a bunch of other publications. But what I thought was the most interesting piece of your life, someplace I want to start, was that you ran for mayor of San Francisco. Can you talk a little bit more about where this idea came from? It was interesting. I had just moved to SF, I think maybe about a year or a year and a half earlier. This is still fairly new to the city at the time. But one of the things that I found really interesting was none of my friends were interested in politics, wanted to get involved in politics. And the the really lovely thing about living in a democracy is that um, you have the power to sway the vote or to get people excited about things and you have a chance to try to make your voice become heard. That was just basically the whole point of my platform. There were things that I was really passionate about that I think a lot of my friends were really passionate about as well. So if there was a way that I could bring attention to that and to get people excited about it and also use it as a learning experience, I thought that'd be really cool. I didn't really go into it thinking I could win, but more so to just start having conversations about younger people in tech, what we were trying to do in the city, and then also just try to like bring light to issues that we thought were interesting. Gotcha. So probably fair to say your desired outcome was not necessarily to actually become mayor, but you just wanted to generate discussions and also learn in the process. Where, I'm just curious, where would someone even start a process like that? What are the initial steps? Yeah, I think this was actually the most fascinating thing. It's about a 10-minute process. (laughs) It was easier for me to run for mayor than it was for me to go to the DMV and file for a real ID. (laughs) Um, It's kind of crazy. But yeah, you just have to check off two boxes. Being over the age of 18 and registered to vote in the city. Wow. Yeah. And you just walk in, you sign out the sheet of paper, and that, that was it. <laughs> um, I learned a lot about like the San Francisco political system. I met a lot of really cool people through it. I'm really glad I did it. That's funny. I guess just really low barriers to entry. And that's not at all something I would have expected as someone that doesn't know a ton about politics. Um, and then last question here before we can get into your, your background and where you grew up. 
Yeah. What specific parts of your platform did you feel like needed to be brought to the surface in the world of SF politics? Yeah, it was education, the homelessness issue, and then I think public health. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of those three things were things that were at the time also just really close to my heart and still are. Being a member of the San Francisco community and seeing the homeless situation outside on the streets and how like it makes me kind of feel scared walking to work mm-hmm. or like the public health issue with feces on the street because there isn't enough like public restrooms or even like the education system, which is something that I've always been really passionate about, which is where I started my current company. And I felt that San Francisco and Silicon Valley were the, the leading tech scene in the world and our students and our um, curriculum should be reflective of that. And I think we could put a lot more money into our education system here in SF. Um, but things have gotten actually a lot better since I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, SF has made community colleges free now for students that are within the city, which I think is really cool. So people can get an education without having to go into debt. Those are all things that were just actively like affecting my life on a day-to-day basis. And then you just mentioned it a little bit back there. This past year, you launched on Delta with your first cohort and it is, well, I should probably let you explain it. What is on Delta? So on Delta, we are a three-month boot camp that is free for our students up front. And instead, we take 15% of our student salary over two years, as long as they're making over 40K. So because we have this ISA option, it's called income share agreements, we can actually hedge the student's risk. And the whole thing is, is that if we do our job correctly, ideally they can land a job. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know that something like Lambda School and a few of these other online boot camps are looking to tap into is the idea of aligning incentives for students. So it's not just that they're taking up money up front, like a traditional college, they're only getting paid when students are actually getting jobs as a result of their education. How do you square the idea of scaling what you're doing? Because I know you guys started small, but now you're growing while also still providing one-on-one mentorship and ensuring that you're placing students at a higher This has been a really interesting process. So I started on Delta by myself back in March. And since then, um, we've been super lucky to have angels come on um, to work with us a little bit. We just hired a full-time dev. So when it comes to the day-to-day aspects of the business, it's still just me. So that's led me to really try to get crafty with how we're teaching and leading the classes. And the biggest thing that I've learned in this whole process is that uh, before we even actually hired the dev, it was just a lot of testing and trying to use a bunch of no-code products like um, using Airtable and Zapier and Notion and just like everything that we could possibly use that would keep me from writing code. But after we got our first 500 applications and we figured out the like what that acceptance process was like and we accepted our first 10, it led me to recognize like, okay, this is what I can do now to scale this up a little bit more. So then the last two months, I've just been focusing on actually building up our product that um, takes a lot off of my plate and we're starting to now move away from the no-code products, but they... Um, really helped us out in the beginning with just trying to understand what we needed to be thinking about. 
Yeah, I think no code products are really interesting. And even though you have a technical background, it sounds like you're looking to bring on some more people just to, to help with certain aspects of automating on Delta. At least in the immediate term, what are the parts of on Delta that you would love to automate? And are there certain aspects that you'll probably avoid automating? Yeah, the biggest thing I think for us is just automating that process of the students coming into the program. So how can we figure out a way to ensure that the students that are coming in are like a good fit for the program? But on top of that, that process of interviewing them and chatting with them and making sure that things go well. And I feel like one of the things that I don't know for sure yet, if it actually makes sense for us to automate, is uh, that interview process between them uh, signing up and them actually coming into the program. Because I think it's actually really good for us to have that conversation with the student first one-on-one, where it's just, even though it's like 15 to 20 minutes, but just, hey, do you have any questions? Like just trying to get to know them a little bit better. And it gives us an idea of what that student is going to be like in the course. So I'd say that's probably one thing we wouldn't automate, but yeah, the applications process, the way we give the students projects within the course, things like that. I'd like to have a little bit more of a structured way around that. Yeah, absolutely. And then based on what you've seen and what your vision for the program is, who do you think is a good fit for On Delta and who might not be a great fit? What we found is it's people who have something to prove at the end of the day. It's people who are hungry. They want to learn. Um, Growth marketing is one of those fields, I think actually very similar to programming, where it takes a lot of effort and a lot of trial and error. Whenever companies are looking for growth marketers, really what they're looking for are people who um, are testing things over and over and over again because the first time you run a growth marketing test it's usually not going to work so you have to figure out how to get crafty and how to build things over time and that's the biggest thing that we're teaching our students and we want them to come in hungry and excited to test things and work hard because if you're not working hard and you're not willing to put yourself out there especially like even when you're within the job you're doing your company a disservice because growth marketers have a really big role of testing out different things for the company, whether it's um, messaging, ads, just like overall marketing. And if you're not able to deliver and to run those tests, then your company stops learning. So that's the biggest thing that we're looking for is people who are hungry and willing to learn and are willing to put themselves out there. That's really interesting. I think that that ties in well with your own unique skill set where you have a technical background, but also a ton of experience in growth marketing and also kind of the way that you grew up. So you grew up in West Virginia. Yeah. Is that that correct? Were you around anybody that was interested in entrepreneurship or tech? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up in Morgantown. My parents were uh, always really supportive. I remember in high school, I was making paracord bracelets and selling them on eBay. So they were always trying to um, facilitate that excitement and get me really excited about things. But yeah, uh, there wasn't much exposure to the tech scene at all in West Virginia. And it's interesting now, actually, looking back on that time, because I remember I made my first iPhone app when I was a freshman in high school. 
And uh, I remember all of my friends and people in school thought it was the craziest thing ever. And then I remember when I got to college four years later, and I was telling kids at Purdue about it and friends, they're just like, oh, I did that too. And it wasn't that crazy that like I made a nap in high school. Yeah. Um, so it was just like the lack of exposure, I think, made me like, it made me feel like I was farther ahead than I actually was. Yeah. <laughs> that <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> Very fair. This might be a coastal elitist point of view, but I feel like growing up in West Virginia is not necessarily like a hotbed for the tech world. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, it was, uh, that's why it was like, it was interesting. So my parents, actually, my junior year of high school decided to move to Tennessee. So um, I actually did my last two years of high school in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. The really interesting thing about Oak Ridge, Tennessee is it's the birthplace of the Manhattan Project. So all of the kids that were in my high school, or not all of them, but a lot of them, their parents were scientists at the National Lab. That was really interesting because those two years just kicked my ass because the West Virginia school system, at least compared to the Oak Ridge school system, the education and the learning modules and what we were doing was just so far ahead than what West Virginia was at. And I remember my senior year taking an APCS course and really falling in love with everything and what we were doing. It was still a lot more exposure than what I had been given in West Virginia. And I think just even seeing like that slight glimpse of like, oh, wow, this is really what like the tech field is like. And like, this is what I could be doing is working at the lab and doing top secret projects with the government. Like that was something that was really interesting for me and what ended up like leading me to study uh, computer science at Purdue But it's interesting because in both of those two places in West Virginia and in Tennessee, education and getting a degree were still held to a really high um, regard. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get a job, even at the tech companies that were in both of those places without having a bachelor's degree. And for me, I went to Purdue and I spent two years there. And by the end of my second year, I'd met enough kids that had dropped out and started startups that I was just like, holy shit, I actually don't have to get a degree. I can just move out to San Francisco and just do startups full time. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. I was 19 and I dropped out and moved to SF. That's really interesting. And at least in my opinion, I think that's one of the biggest generational differences between our generation and my parents' generation, where you kind of don't necessarily need this ticket, this degree from a university in order to get jobs that are really engaging or creative or work with other types of people that you enjoy being with. So you find yeah. yourself in this interesting environment in Tennessee where you're, you're supported by other intelligent people that are interested in some of the same things that you are. You go to Purdue, you take on a CS major. Why did you feel like college was not for you at that point? There were a few things. The biggest thing was I found that just the really big classroom environment where there's a teacher all the way up in the front and you're just listening to them talk for an hour and (laughs) then they like give you a project at the end of the semester was just not uh, my ideal learning situation and I struggled with that quite a bit and on top of that towards the middle of my freshman year I ended up joining 
and helping launch Purdue's entrepreneurship club um, called The Anvil. And we tore out um, these pews in this church and turned this into a co-working space. And that was my first glimpse into student entrepreneurship and seeing companies that were launching out of the space that I was running was really interesting to me. And it wasn't until the end of my freshman year where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I want to try starting this business on my own. And I ended up launching um, this agency called Jamoka Media. And we were like just thinking through it towards the end of my uh, freshman year in 2015. And one of my best friends, Alex, uh, had just dropped out about a semester prior and reached out to me um, in June after I had just finished class. And he was just like, hey, there's this conference that's happening out here in SF called the Teal Fellowship Conference. It's for a bunch of young entrepreneurs. I remember you were really interested in entrepreneurship when I was still in school. You should come out and check it out for the weekend and see what you think. And it was actually just literally that weekend that just completely changed my life. It was being in front of and seeing these 500 people who were my age and maybe a little bit older that had dropped out of school and had started businesses that were backed by big VC firms for millions of dollars was crazy to me. And I remember coming home after that weekend and saying to my mom, hey, I'm dropping out. And that's like exactly what ended up happening in the next year. That's awesome. And then you go to the Teal Fellowship event, your perspective is completely turned 180 degrees. Did you immediately move out to the Bay Area at that point? Did you decide at that moment you wanted to drop out? I think by the end of that summer that I was like, all right, I think I'm ready to drop out. Um, But I realized I needed something to drop out for. One of my friends um, has, I remember actually my sophomore year, right after I had kind of decided that I wanted to drop out. He's like pretty big in the hackathon scene. His name is um, Dave Fontenot. We were sitting on a bus going to a hackathon and I had asked him, I was like, when did you realize that like you wanted to drop out of school? And Dave said to me, you don't drop out of school, you drop into something else. So figure out what you want to do that's really exciting and go into doing that. So I had launched this agency, um, Jamoka, and we were servicing a couple of YC companies, uh, other companies that were at Purdue um, with social media marketing things. And that was my first glimpse into growth hacking. And I realized that if I could get up enough clients or work up enough clients to be able to pay myself a salary, then that could be something that I could take full time. My parents weren't really excited about that. So I I wasn't going to drop out without their blessing. So I realized I needed something else to push them over that edge to get them to feel comfortable about it. And that saving grace for me was, I think it was in October of 2015, there was this guy's name is Art Norens. Um, he's a Purdue alum who started this company called Nor One in Santa Clara. And Art was visiting Purdue with the Purdue Research Foundation, and they had asked me to show him around the Anvil, the co-working space that I used to help run. And within about 10 minutes of me having a conversation with Art, and I were just kind of like, 
okay, you need to get back out to the Bay. And I think he saw something in me, which at the time, I don't think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people just saw me as like some naive 19 year old girl who's just like, hey, I want to do startups and make a big company. But he was like, no, I think I might see something here. So he gave me his card after the end of that meeting and was just like, give me a call if you're serious about wanting to come out to SF and we'll figure something out. About three weeks later, I ended up shooting him an email and he ended up giving me a data engineering job in Santa Clara after my sophomore year that I was actually able to drop out and support myself for three to four months, build up clientele. And then by August of 2016, I had moved up to the city. Okay. So you pointed out some of these different inflection points, conversations with Dave and Art. You move out to the Bay Area. You've built up a little bit of a clientele with your new agency, Jamoka Media. Yeah. Any other events after you've moved out there that you felt like were really, really important for the business or your own life? I think after that, it was a lot smaller points, but everything became a learning experience because At that point, I had a lot of things on the line. I had given up school. I wasn't running a venture-backed company either. So Jamoka just ended up becoming a vehicle for me to learn. And it basically actually became my college education because I was taking up a bunch of different projects, whether it was web development or growth hacking and marketing or operations work even I did a little bit of or data stuff. Anything that I was interested in or excited about Jamoka, I just take on a client under that business to learn it. And I think through that learning experience and just putting myself out there and talking to a client and just saying, Hey, we need help doing Facebook ads. I'd be like, cool, I'll I'll do it for you. But not even actually knowing how it worked or how to do it, but staying up all night, Googling it and then talking to friends who were really good at Facebook ads and just trying to learn by brute force, I think was the best education I could have really ever provided myself. So you take some of these very large risks, you're essentially betting on yourself and you're learning at a high rate kind of simply by doing. Were there aspects of this new freelancing life where you wanted to quit or go back to school or maybe take a full-time job working for someone else? What, what was most difficult? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, especially in the beginning in the first year, it sucked because I was living paycheck to paycheck there were some months that I didn't have enough money to pay rent and I'd stay up all night just freaking out. And I'd be like, damn, this sucks. Like I wouldn't be in the situation if I'd gone to college or stayed in college and gotten a degree and maybe started working at a tech company at like a Google or something doing dev stuff. Uh, But I think the thing that I kept on coming back to in those scenarios was that I always had that software development background. And I think even now as well, if I wanted to, I could go get a job at a tech company doing software development. Um, So I think that was something that I just kind of always fell back on where it was just like, all right, if you really need to go get a job, you can go do that. (laughs) But it's just, when things always ended up coming down to the wire, there would be some Hail Mary or some grace that would come in and help push me to that next level. And it was just a lot of, failing and talking to a lot of people and just trying to use everything as learning experience. I would say that I think the biggest period after that, that was my highest growth period, was when Jamoka actually started doing well. 
and we started hiring people and we got an office because I think this was maybe about two and a half years ago now. That was interesting because I think I had failed so much at that point that I was just like, all right, I really need to figure out how to actually turn this into a sustainable business or I'm screwed. And that process really taught me how to build a business from the ground up. How do you manage money? How do you actually make a profitable business and hire people and manage people and stay on top of people? And learning that process of delegating and creating like a sustainable business was the most interesting thing I think about that like period. So how big was Jamoka Media? How large was the team, I guess, at its peak? About four people. It's four people. And then how, just to get a little more granular, how did you make decisions on when to let go and delegate something, um, even though you felt like it was worth someone on your team's time? Yeah, um, it was all the things that I didn't like that I hired out for. So the reason why Jamoka actually started doing really well was because I actually decided to stop signing contracts on anything that I wanted to learn. And I went all in on LinkedIn marketing. And at the time I was pulling in 50 to 60,000 views a post and I was posting every single day. So by the end of the month, I think I was pulling in between 1.5 to maybe 3 million views a month on the platform. And one of the things that I found was that if I liked or commented on someone's post, I could drive my audience to their audience. So I could drive about 50 to 60,000 views to their posts overnight by just engaging with it. When I started that process of signing clients to help them build their personal brand, the thing that I absolutely hated was actually creating the content. I didn't enjoy doing that at all. The thing that I did enjoy was like the automation process and building out our platform for clients to sign up on and manage their posts and things like that. So the first hire that I made was an editor who would come in and help me actually write the posts. And then from then on out, it was just the things that I didn't want to do that I'd hire out for. Gotcha. So you basically figured out LinkedIn. You mastered LinkedIn. Um, yeah. You were able to hire other people to take on and just kind of follow the steps that you had established. So you're driving a ton of engagement on some of these different posts. Why did you end up moving on from Jamoka Media just to focus now on Onzata? Yeah, there's a couple of things. The biggest thing was that all of the Jamoka Media contracts were ready for renewal at the end of April. And honestly, I didn't drop out of school to run CEO's LinkedIn's. I, I, I accidentally stumbled into it because I had become this LinkedIn influencer. I was creating all of this content and then people would hit me up and say like, hey, could you help us with our accounts as well? And then I just helped them with it and then they'd pay me and then we standardized it. So it wasn't really something that I set out to do where I was like, all right, we're going to be a LinkedIn personal branding company. And I just remember it was March. We had a month left of these contracts and I was just like, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I wasn't really enjoying it. So all of the clients that still needed LinkedIn help, I actually just ended up giving them all to my editor who had been with me for about a year at that point. I was just like, hey, you take on these contracts. I think I just want to start something new. So the clients who were still interested, she just kind of ended up taking on like Jamoka 2.0. And I took a step back and started ideating on what would be 
a new thing that I'd like to start. And I had some money saved up from running this business. So I was just like, all right, I have about eight to 12 months of runway. Let's try to figure out what I can do in the next eight to 12 months. And one of the things that I had been really fascinated by when I first moved out to SF was the idea of starting a scalable marketing agency. You can't scale a marketing agency for the sole reason that you just can't scale a services business. Every client is going to be different. They're going to want different things. Even if you try to standardize that process, like we did at Jamoka, of the client coming in and how we service them, they're still going to have different things that make them unique. So for me, it just came down to like, all right, well, if we can't scale the services, maybe we could scale the people. That's how I ended up deciding on, on Delta because we're basically in some way like a scalable agency. We're, we're training people how to do marketing, how to um, work at tech companies, um, teaching them those soft skills and those hard skills, and then helping them land a job. And then we're taking the percentage of their salary. So effectively, we're kind of like a scalable agency. Mm-hmm. And I guess that brings us to the present where now you're just looking for more people that are hungry, hungry to learn, hungry to get into the growth marketing world and maybe make a career change. Last question for Anzelto, what has been your biggest win of late? And then what is the next large domino you're looking to knock down? I think for us, like we've had small wins, right? We've signed an ISA partner. We have students that have signed ISAs and have also paid up front. We have hiring partners. We've already placed our first student. So it's all been small things. But I'd say I think the next really big thing for us is getting these 10 students that are currently going through the program placed with jobs in the next month or two. And I think once we can do that, then I'll feel very, very confident about this business, what we have going on. And I think we'll be ready to actually start to scale things up a lot more than we are right now. Because even though I would say we're past that MVP stage of testing what our curriculum is like and how to get people jobs, we're past that. But just standardizing that process of helping the students get jobs and how do we make sure that every student's getting attention and getting that help that they need to land that job. And I think once that side of the funnel now is figured out and we've locked all of that in, we'll be in a really good place. Very cool. So just keeping things personal, trying to make incremental progress as you aim to fundamentally change the trajectory of some of these students' lives. Yeah. So as before I let you go, something we ask everyone on the show is, are there any podcasts or books that you would recommend or have had a huge impact on your own life? My marketing Bible, as I like to refer to it, is Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. It's probably my favorite book about marketing and media manipulation and growth that I think I've ever read. And I think Ryan's attack to the way that he thinks about the media and how to use it and take advantage of it and the stories that he tells within the book are really fascinating. Because when you look at media and you look at news and what you see online, it's really interesting to actually just boil it down to that there's people behind it who are just trying to tell a story. Um, and I found that to be really fascinating. Gotcha. So Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Awesome. And then where is the best place for people to find you or maybe more information about On Delta if they're interested? 
Yeah. So if you'd like to learn more about On Delta, head over to ondelta.io or ondeltaschool.com. Either two of those uh, URLs work. If you'd like to follow me, I'm at the Mehekvora on all of my platforms. And on YouTube, I'm at What the Mehek. We're actually just launching a vlog in like the next couple of weeks. So keep on the lookout for that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And we can link those in the show notes for listeners as well. Mahak, a thousand thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. This has been Ethan Lee Tyson with Worth. You can find show notes below or at worth.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thanks for your time.